Uh, good morning, church. Hello, me. Hi, Sean. You know, we're all living life on mission, so I'd like to encourage us to uh, join, sign up for our CE program on questions of missions. It's not just for those who are interested in doing missions. Uh, we'll continue our series uh, through the book of Romans, so let us commit this time to the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will speak to us, that truly we will see finish, the finished work of Christ that gives us freedom. Freedom from the power of sin, freedom from condemnation, freedom as your children. Thank you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when Kate was 17 years old, she went to her father's office to work. And she said, there were a lot of rumors that my dad was having an affair with the sales rep that would visit our office periodically. Now, I refuse to believe it because when I look at my parents, they were adorably in love. Sometimes they were overly affectionate in front of the children. They would go on date nights every week and even go on trips together. My father is a key figure in my spiritual walk. Every week, he would lead our family worship. He often share and discuss with me questions about theology and the Bible and even inspired me uh, and encouraged me to go to Bible college. Now one day, he called me into his office, and without even mentioning about the woman, he told me that he was having some problems with my mother, and they may get a divorce. I was shocked. Who is this man? What did he do to my father? I couldn't reconcile the person sitting in front of me with the father that I knew. Six years later, my father was walking out of his third affair. And each time he had an affair, it lasted a few months. And I knew because he would disappear from the home. He would become a totally different person. But a few months later, he would reappear as if nothing has happened. You know, become his usual, kind, affectionate, generous self, devoted to the family to scripture, to prayer. I don't know if you have ever apologized to my mother, but he certainly has never apologized to my sisters and I. You see, what Kate is describing of her father, we ask this question, is the father a saint or a sinner? As Christians, as Christ followers, are we saints or sinners? Because on the one hand, we say we love Jesus, we want to follow Him. On the other hand, we struggle when we fall into sin. The question is, can we find freedom from the bondage of sin? A brother R shares this story. He says, ever since I am aware of my sexual desires, it has always been for other guys. It's so natural to me. My first crush was my JC friend. Every time this boy looked at me, my heart leapt, and I wish I could hold his hands. Four years later, I got, I got my first boyfriend. In the same-sex relationship, I felt I was ha finally happy. But at the same time, I struggled with despair. How can something that feels so right be so wrong? And so I turned to alcohol, to one-night stands, but it could not fill the emptiness in my heart. What he is sharing is describing his str the struggle between his flesh 
and His Spirit. To obey God, to please God. The question is, can we find freedom from such struggles? You know, Hassan Taylor, the famous missionary that started uh, what is OMF now, after a few months of his conversion, he felt dissatisfied with his spiritual life. He felt that he was struggling with sin. And he says, you know, in Scripture, God promises that we can overcome sin and live a victorious life. And I want God's best. Now, do you want God's best? Can we find freedom from the bondage of sin? Friends, this is what I would like us to think about today as we look at Romans chapter 8. Is it possible to find this freedom? And the answer is yes. See, the book of Romans tells us what our faith is about. And in the introduction, Paul gives us the nutshell of the gospel. That is, Jesus is the Messiah and we should put our faith in Him. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. And then he goes on to explain why righteousness is needed because it says we are all sinners. Now, I hope we get over the idea that sin is not just doing bad things. Sin ultimately is turning away from God to ourselves. We turn away from others to ourselves that we do not worship God, but we worship ourselves. And so Scripture says all are sinners. But righteousness is provided through the Saviour Jesus. So chapter 3 onwards, it talks about Jesus coming to die for our sins. Because of Him, when we believe in Him, His goodness and righteousness is given to us. So we don't suddenly overnight become a good person, a moral person or a righteous person. But instead, we are declared moral. We are declared righteous. That is what it means to be justified. Now, does that mean we don't pursue holiness? We don't need good, good things? Of course not. So Romans 5 to 8, Paul begins to answer, there is a process of sanctification, meaning growing in holiness. The righteousness provided acts out in our lives. It works itself out in our lives to give us freedom and life. But first, we need to understand the, the effects or the result of being justified. So Romans 5, it says, because you're justified, the result is you're reconciled with God, you're at peace, you're God's friend. Thus, when we are going through struggles, we can still worship God. He says you can rejoice, worship God, because trials work out our character, it gives hope, help us to experience God's love. The result of being justified, we can worship God in trials. Why? Because we are God's friend. God is not there to torture us, to make fun of us, to cause us to go through difficult times. If we understand the depths of our depravity, how we are always turning from God, how we are always holding on to our idols, then we understand why we need to go through difficult times. Because only when we suffer, only when we go through trials, I would say, that we come before God helpless and hopeless and we surrender to Him. But yet, even though we are great sinners, Romans 6 tells us Christ is a great Saviour. And then last week in Romans 7, we talk about the struggle of flesh. You know, I say interestingly, I've got most feedback on this sermon. Now, not because of Pastor Leonard's preaching or Pastor Ng's preaching, okay? But people will tell me, say, oh, this is very depressing, you know. After listening to the whole sermon, there's no hope. Can we have victory? I see it's, exact, it's depressing exactly because Paul intended it to be that way. The whole pericope or the whole section of Romans 7 ends in Romans 8 verse 17. So I, I, I texted that person, you want hope? Today you must come. Because the answer is Romans 8 verse 1 to 17, the three freedoms we have in Christ. 
Romans 7 tells us the struggle is real. And right at the end, but he said, but we are not like that, we have hope. Then he turns on to Romans 8. Three freedoms we have. The first is freedom from condemnation. Verse 1, therefore, see, after talking about all their struggle and make you feel depressed, I hope, I hope the whole week you felt depressed, okay? We need to sit in that struggle to understand the struggle is real. But it says, therefore, now we turn the page, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, friends, what does it mean to be condemned? You feel a sense of disapproval, that you're not good enough. What are these sources that cause us to feel condemned? Maybe it's our conscience. We know what we ought to do, but we cannot do. What we should not do, we do, right? That's what Paul said in Romans 7. Our past memories, something we did in the past, and we cannot forgive ourselves. We cannot walk out of it. Our personal dysfunctions, things that we struggle with, or comments from others, especially those of us who are more sensitive. What people say, we take it to heart. Unhealthy comparisons. Why the person have this, I don't have. Why can't I be like this? We compare and we feel condemned. And of course, there's Satan, the spiritual warfare. But Scripture tells us even though we feel condemned, we are not condemned. Just we, John says, we will know by this that we are of the truth and we will assure our hearts before Him. How do you assure your heart? In whatever our hearts condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. This is when your heart condemns you, you turn to God. God does not condemn us. God is greater than our hearts. Why will this perfect, holy God not condemn us? Because of Jesus, right? Because of the gospel. That's why in Romans 8 verse 1, it says there's no condemnation because, verse 2, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin of death. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. What is it that the law cannot do? The law points out the standards of God that are perfect and we cannot meet those standards. But God fulfilled those standards. How? Next verse. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. It's a summary of Romans 3-4, to right? That Jesus came as a man, the Creator, ripped apart the fabric of time and space, entered His creation to bear this sinful flesh, but to offer Himself as an offering for us. He condemned sin. You see, why do we face condemnation? The root of it is sin. But here He's saying, sin, He has already condemned sin. The sin that condemns us, He condemned, therefore there's no more condemnation. So that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You know, before Romans 5, there's very little mention of the Spirit. But now, after we talk about that we have believed in Jesus, now in this process of sanctification, he talks about the Spirit. And so this is a graphic image. He condemns sin. It means he nailed sin to the cross. When Jesus was kneeling, nailed on the cross, he took our sins and nailed it to him. And that is why a perfectly holy and righteous God will not condemn us who are unholy and unrighteous. You know, in the US, they used to uh, discriminate, right, between the whites and the blacks. And there are certain institutes, after that, they went through the segregation and then they tried to remove all this discrimination. But certain institutions are very slow to change, especially the hospitals. Why? Because back then, they believed that if I'm a white person, I use blood from a, another ethnicity, 
I may have those characteristics. But all these changed in the 1930s because of this man called Dr. Charles Drew. His research into blood, he came up with this method to remove plasma from the blood, revealed that actually, you know, skin colour don't really affect the blood. So, he started the first blood bank in America, which is still in existence today. But in 1950, he was 46 years old, he met a car accident. He was brought to this hospital that had still practiced segregation, meaning only white people can go in, and he was a black man. And so because of that, he bled to death at the entrance of the hospital. Now it's an irony, isn't it? His life's work saved so many lives, but he couldn't save himself. Now this is a familiar story because it's the gospel story. Because when Jesus Christ nailed on the cross, gave his life to save our lives. But friends, it is not because he couldn't save himself, but it was because he wouldn't. Remember the people mocked him. He says, Jesus, while he was on the cross, he said, if you are king of the Jews, come down, save yourself. But Jesus didn't. Because he knew the only way we can be saved is through his blood. And because he nailed our sins to the cross, he condemned sin, we are no longer condemned. So friends, we have freedom from condemnation. When you feel your God not good enough, when you feel Satan attacking you, when you feel your past not letting you go, remember, we are freed from condemnation. Not only are we freed from condemnation, we are freed from the flesh. Earlier, he brought up the Spirit. He said, now you have the Holy Spirit, you're not condemned. Then he continues, for those who according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. The result, the mindset on the flesh is death, the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. He says, if you have the Spirit, you think things of the Spirit. Because the mindset on flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Remember, we set our minds on things of the flesh. It's just like sin. We don't just think about doing bad things. Ultimately, it's not pleasing God, but pleasing ourselves. So he says, you know, you set your minds on things of flesh, you cannot please God. Here he brings out this two nature. Now, once we have accepted Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have two natures, the flesh and the spirit. When Jesus died, he paid for the penalty of our sins, past, present, future. Even future sins you have not sinned or not committed, the penalty has been paid. The power of sin has been broken. But friends, the presence of sin will always remain with us as long as we are in the flesh until one day we see God face to face. And so what I'm trying to say is that the struggle is real. That's why the whole of Romans 7, he talks about the struggle. But he says, yet we can have this freedom because of the Holy Spirit. The question is, which nature do you feed? You know the cuckoo bird? I read this story, okay? Don't know whether it's true, but... but they say the bird, when they try to lay eggs, it doesn't build its own nest. Instead, you fly around and look for other nests that have eggs inside, but the mother bird is not around. Then the cuckoo bird will swap down and lay its eggs and fly away. So apparently, birds don't count very well because the mother bird will come back and then don't realize there's extra eggs and then sit on those eggs, right? Until all the, the eggs are hatched. Now, the cuckoo bird is about two, three times the normal, uh, bigger than the other birds. So every time the mother bird comes back with a worm to feed them, the cuckoo bird will eat. 
and it grow bigger and bigger and bigger. Eventually, you push the other little birds out of the nest. So you walk along hedges and you see little birds on the floor dead and you look up, there's a nest, then there's probably a cuckoo bird in there. Now we laugh, but this describes what is happening in us. We have the flesh, but we also have the spirit. But how, which is victorious depends on which we feed. Do you feed your fleshly nature or your spiritual nature? William Temple, who is the Archbishop of Canterbury, he says, our religion is what we do when no one is looking. What you worship, what you follow is when you're alone by yourself, when you're at a bus stop, when you're driving, when you're in your room, when no one is looking, what do you think, what do you desire, what do you pursue, what do you worship? That is your religion. And we spend all our time thinking about our desires, looking at uh, our Facebook and whatever social media we have, uh, coveting what others have. Friends, we are feeding our flesh. No wonder we are not sensitive to God's voice. No wonder we have no appetite for God's word. Which nature do you feed? So after describing the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, he says, however, you, now he specifically deals with them, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit. It's just like Romans 7, he talks about all the struggle towards the end. He says, but you are not like that. Then verse 1, there's no more condemnation. He's trying to say that, yes, you struggle, but you know what? You have victory. You have the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, you're not of the flesh. But if anyone does not have the spirit of God, he does not belong to him. If consistently we feel like we're always in defeat, always in defeat, he say, are you, do you really belong to Christ? Because if you're Christ, then you have the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, you can overcome. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are not under obligation to, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Since now that we have the Holy Spirit, you no longer owe a debt to your flesh. If you owe a debt to the flesh and obligation, then you must respond. Instead, we owe a debt to Christ. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Friends, we must remember we are like amphibians. We live in two worlds. We live in this material world. But we also live in the spiritual world. What we value, what we pursue. Do we say in this world, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of flesh is very natural, like breathing. You don't even need to think. But to think about spiritual things, we need to set our minds on things above. That takes effort. It takes a rhythm, spiritual disciplines, time together. Every week we come together in your DGs, in your worship. We are presenting ourselves to God. We are reminding ourselves of what God has done for us and the freedom we have. Last this Friday, I went to uh, one of the DGs and one of them shared, it says every week, you know, our prayer requests, you know, the part where we share prayer requests, it's always share the same thing. But yet, this is exactly what we need. Exactly what we need. This is our pilgrimage. Every week, 
a reminder of our struggles, but a reminder of what Jesus has done. And therefore, we move towards holiness and freedom together as a community of Christ's followers. So I want to encourage you, this living by the Spirit, living by the flesh, is not just your own struggle, but we come together as a community in Christ. I encourage you to be part of a, a group of people who are committed to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. You know, Hassan Taylor, as he struggled about his spiritual uh, dissatisfaction, he says he came to realize that the way to overcome is not merely by my struggle and striving, but by understanding the finished work of Jesus. And so he said, he said, the Lord Jesus received is holiness begun. Before we believe Jesus, there's no talk about holiness. But once you have the Spirit in you, holiness begun. The Lord Jesus cherished is holiness advancing. You want to grow in holiness? You cherish Jesus. The Lord Jesus counted upon as never absent will be holiness complete. He who, who he is most holy, who has most of Christ within, enjoys most fully in the finished work. Hudson Taylor went on to launch the OMF, what we know as OMF today. And it is because of his, this, he, 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 he was gripped by the gospel. He says he finally understood the finished work of Jesus. All his, the penalty of his sin has been paid for. The power of sin has been broken. And the more we cherish this, the more we grow in holiness. To let my loving Saviour work in me His will, which is my sanctification, is what I live for by grace. Abiding, not striving, not struggling, but looking off onto Him. Trusting Him for present power, resting in the love of an almighty Saviour, is the joy of a complete salvation. Friends, not only do we have freedom from condemnation, we have freedom over our flesh. When we grip hold, grab hold of the finished work of Christ, as we come together as a church, as a community of believers, to remind ourselves of this truth, to urge each other on to pray for one another. And finally, Paul brings us that from this freedom of the flesh to freedom of sonship, freedom as a child of God. He reminds them of their identity. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you, do not, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. He reminds them of their identity. Why? You see, what we do is external, this external circle where people can see. Now, what they cannot see, the inner circle is our motivations and values. But that is affected by the innermost circle of our identity. Who you are determines your values, which in turn determines your choices. So Paul is saying, as you struggle with this sin to find freedom, after he talks about no condemnation, the Holy Spirit helping us to overcome the flesh, he brings them back to the identity. Because you are a child of God, two things. One, there's adoption. Second, you call God Abba, Father. Two things that gives us this intimacy with God. First, if 18 years old, suddenly you realize that you, were, you have been adopted by your parents, how would you feel? Wow, 18 years old, man. I've been living a lie, right? They don't love me as much. No wonder they treat my sister or my brother better. You know, but in the Roman concept of adoption is different. 
They will go around adopting a young person, which is a bit grown, nephew, a slave, a neighbor, so that that person can inherit my legacy and my wealth and continue it. So I specially pick somebody that I think has potential. Whatever that person's debt is, I will bear. Not only do you get my legacy, you get my name. And so to be adopted is, is a privilege. It's special. And when you're adopted, you're treated equally as the other son. So he's saying that, you know, Israel, of course, is God's orig- the original people of God. But now the church, you're adopted in. You're equal. Just like those who are naturally born. And hence, we can call God Abba. Abba is the sound that a little baby will call out their fathers, their, parent, their father. Appears three times in the New Testament. The first time is in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was in the midst of his struggle and great pain, he cries out to the Father, Abba. And the next two times is in Romans and Galatians by Paul when he talks about the Holy Spirit. And not just the Holy Spirit, also the, the trials and suffering we go through. We call Abba. Because when you're desperate, we need God. That is when we have to hold on to Him. That is when intimacy is most important because we are helpless and hopeless. So he continues, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that are children of God. How do you know you're a child of God? The Holy Spirit testifies, confirms it in your heart. If children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Randomly, he just says, you suffer with Him. Just like Romans 5, right? He talks about all the good things. Suddenly, he says, oh, you know, you suffer with Him, but don't worry, you can rejoice in suffering. Because in this whole process of growing in Christ's likeness, it is when we are desperate and helpless and hopeless that we are willing to open up our palms and say, God, you know what? I cannot control all these things. I cannot rely on myself and I need you. And we come before our Heavenly Father and we cry out to Him, Abba, Father. You know, the brother that shared about his same-sex attraction, he says, one night I was... I broke down in tears. I was so lonely. I told God, I cannot do this anymore. Why are you so cruel? And then I heard God tell me, trust me. Just two words, trust me. And that began to turn my whole journey and struggle around. I began to realize that, you know, when the Lord asked me to live this lifestyle, it was not because it was cruel, but He simply didn't want to see me wreck my life with sin and addiction. And over the years, I realized, you know, even though I have same-sex attraction, that is not who I am. That is what I have. My foremost, most important, most foundational identity is I am a beloved son of my father. And he shares about how he turns towards God and began to walk out of this lifestyle. And a few years later, he met uh, another sister in Christ. He says, I'm not attracted to women except for her. And a few years ago, they got married. Now, many times we shared this story. Even last year, remember, in August, we invited a speaker. It's not to say that, oh, you know, you believe in Jesus, you can be from same-sex attracted, you become opposite-sex attracted. That is not our point. Our point is, there are struggles in life, friends. We struggle with different things. We seem to be in bondage. It seems hopeless. But in Christ Jesus, when we hold on to our identity. You are a child of God. There is freedom. We can walk out of this struggle. And so notice the three freedoms 
freedom from condemnation, freedom from the flesh, freedom as children of God. They are all possible because, because of the gospel, because of Jesus' sacrifice. But we experience it through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit to make it real in our lives. So the question we ask is, what is this freedom? Sometimes we think, you know, if I don't believe in God, I live for myself. I'm free. But that's not true. Again and again, we know, we pursue our own desires, our own dreams, but when we achieve it, we feel empty. And hence, in this New City Catechism, the question we ask today about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the law of God, is not meant to restrict us. It is meant to give us this boundary, and within the boundary, you have freedom. You think there's no boundary means you have freedom? No way, it's just like the guy who jumps the skydiver without a parachute. You think you are free, but you're constrained by a greater law, the law of gravity, and so the end result is, yeah, right? Likewise, when we have, don't, we, we only believe in ourselves, but we are still in bondage of a greater law, the law of sin, the law of self, the law of the world. Try transgressing any of these laws, and you'll find that you live in bondage you'll find emptiness and death. And so in Romans 8, verse 1 to 17, Paul tells us that there is freedom. Freedom because of Jesus. Freedom that the Holy Spirit appropriates into our lives. Remember that you are a child of God. Remember your identity. Rely, feed the, na- the spiritual nature to overcome Together, as a community of Christ followers, we gather every week to encourage each other. This is our Christian pilgrimage. You know, Kate Shedd, she says, it's been 14 years since my last, my father's last affair. And over the years, I've seen how the Holy Spirit worked in his life. My mother and him have reached a deeper level of honesty and mutual respect. Today, they serve in church, in this ministry, towards couples who are going through um, affairs. And he said, one day we were invited to Oprah Winfrey's talk show because that was the topic of the show. And as I was narrating my father's story, I realized for the first time in my life, I've forgiven him. It's not easy. He has never apologized to us. See, I used to think my father, he's either this hateful person who hurts us, or this godly person who loves his family. And I could never reconcile these two images of my father. But today, when I look at him through the lenses of the gospel, I realize he's one and the same man. Friends, we are both sinners and saints, right? Through Jesus, we are called as saints, but we don't live like saints. We are sinners and we, we, we want, we desire to live a holy life. And the way is to go on this journey. It's not an excuse to sin. You know, every action we take has a consequence. Some are consequences that we cannot bear. Some consequences are worse than others. But nonetheless, when we come before God, it is still a sin that God can forgive. It's still a sin that Jesus has already forgiven. So let us come before the Lord. Once again, let his gospel melt our hearts. You know, this morning, I was feeling very overwhelmed. Um, 
I was at the Chinese worship and I was just breaking down, you know. I think as I look back, the last few months has been a struggle. I tell you, every morning I wake up at 5. Morning is Monday to Friday, okay? Saturday, Sunday, need to sleep. I wake up at 5 o'clock and what do I do? Come before God. And I call, I worship God. I say, God, you're my father. I, I need you. I don't know how to take the next step forward. And you know You know, every Friday, every Thursday when I pray for the church, it's burdensome to me. Last time you faced the same problem, I felt like I was tef- like Teflon. Everything that hits you, it goes off, it doesn't stick. But you know, these days, I think there's no more margins. Everything that hits me sticks. It bears me down to such a point, I'm so overwhelmed. I think, you know, why? I mean, of course, sometimes it's better than others. And I know, you know, you always think I'm whining. But today, I really, I told God, I cannot, you know, I cannot, I'm just... I just don't want to be here. I come here and see so many people, so many problems. Why do I want to be a pastor and, and make their problems my problem? I want to live my own life, do my own things. And I told God, you have to take charge. You have to do it for me. And so what I want to tell you is we have struggles and sometimes it's up and down. Sometimes it's a journey. Sometimes it takes a while to overcome. Sometimes it feels too much for you to bear and that is when we need to come before God. That is when we need to grab hold of Him. And as we grab Him and say, Abba, you realize that God has always been holding on to you. Let us pray. I want to give us some time to come before the Lord and whatever there is in your heart, the burdens, the struggles, uh, to bring it before the Lord. As we come together as a body of Christ to worship Him. Allow the Spirit of God to continue to minister to us. That while we may be overwhelmed, through Christ we can become overcomers. There's no more condemnation in Christ. There's freedom from the flesh. Freedom because you are a child of God.